What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Podcast world. This life ain't for everybody. We've had a big, big ass week of podcasting. Yours truly was just on the UFC unfiltered podcast with one of the funniest comedians out there, Jim Norton and the badass Brazilian jiu-jitsu master black belt, Matt Sarah himself humbled by that. It was awesome to talk. I don't know if humble is the right word. I'm going to talk to my guest today about when people say that. Because I, I don't really know if I have a real good recollection of what that means when people say that. So I know he can hear me right now. I want him to think about that, what it means when people say, man, that hunt really humbled me. Or, man, that was really humbling to hang around with that guy. I want to know what that means when people say that. Today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody, again, brought to you by the one and only Lynchburg, Tennessee, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey Jack Daniels, the icon. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking myself self-admittingly i love to enjoy jack daniels and listen to this man's music i feel i put on my social media just yesterday or the day before within the last 48 hours that he is the best songwriter in the world today and i got a lot of people writing in saying Eric Church is the best. Now, Eric Church is a bad son bitch. He's a bad MFer. But I heard this man that it's on the podcast today once say, I'm a bad MFer too. So that's uh, how I like to remember my man, one of my good buddies, one of my best friends in the entire music industry. We became fast friends, didn't we, Brent Cobb? Well, we became fast friends once we finally met, but we, <laughs> you would have thought we'd have met a lot sooner. But uh, we knew all all the same people. But yeah, it didn't take us long about about thirty minutes. About thirty minutes. Um, when you hear people say that, you're you're a, you're a, you've taught me a lot. Some of the things that you've taught me just on the podcast are about loneliness, darkness, what it means to be up, what it means to be down, and most importantly, that it's okay to be sad. That that's part of life, right? Um, when you hear somebody say, "Man, that's humbling," does it? Is that something that we should say, Brent Cobb? Does it make sense to say, man, Brent really humbled me when I was around him, you know, like that was so humbling. Or should you always have humility and let ego stay out of the way? You kind of get what I'm getting at? I think so. First of all, I don't know shit. I'm just a country songwriter that uh, (laughs) tries to be the best I can be as, you know, myself. But so what I do may not be what anybody else should do or think. But I, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't, I, I, I don't know that I've ever said, boy, that really humbled me. But I, uh, I get it. I understand. I try to live my life where I'm constantly, just yesterday, me and my daughter were riding back from my folks' house where I'm at today. My mama had shoulder surgery, and we're here kind of, I could make the chicken pot pie. And anyway, we were on the way back, and there was these huge storm clouds rolling in, and, uh, you know, over these cow fields, rolling hills of cow fields and pine trees and stuff. And, and uh, my daughter is a deep thinker. She thinks about death and stuff, and, like, when we go, when we leave this world and going to heaven and she kind of scares her and uh and she had brought it up the day before but while we're riding down the road i go baby look out across that field and look at all of that look at those huge clouds and the rain and how beautiful the green of the grass is and you see that feeling that you get you know i get a feeling of like this just ancient world that's been before us and will be after us and we get to be a part of it at all and uh and that is the kind of 
feeling that that gives me that I try to carry with me through every day, every moment of my life, which maybe that, you know, is humble. That's being humble is, is feeling grateful, you know, to, and small and just feeling just grateful to just travel through this world. And that's what Calfield gave me, you know, and I, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I try to do that. I try to feel that way all the time. I, I guess it's just like you, you hear a lot of people say that, you know, I've said, I've caught myself saying a lot like that hunt really humbled me. And I don't know if it's the hunt that is humbling you or what you're talking about. The app, you know, the actual part of life that you're supposed to be enjoying during that hunt. And there's so many different parts of, of life that, you know, have potential humility in them. I just never want to come across as like, Oh man, that really humbled me. I want it to be like, you're always humble. You know, like we should always be humble compared to what's around us. And you're, you're a spiritual man. Do you live by the ideology and the spiritual belief and the religious belief being a Southern gentleman, like you are and the way your mommy and daddy raised you and your grandparents, do you believe that nothing is yours and that you're just here living for a higher power for the Lord above and that you're going to put it all back on a shelf someday and somebody else will take your spot, but nothing is really ours. He's giving us the ability to live this life. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think that, you know, yeah, I believe in God and, uh, but I also believe that maybe some of the stuff that we're experiencing here on earth is stuff that, Maybe we experienced in heaven and we brought it with us. And the reason why we even are able to receive it and experience it is because we've experienced it before and we will always. And then so and then it's like a circle that when we leave from here, all the stuff that we love, like the big storm clouds and all the, the just anything that you love that gives you that feeling. Maybe you take some of that with you when you go as well. And then it's all just one in the same, you know, and uh and I think it's moments like the hunt, like you're talking about, or, or like, you know, me meeting George Jones or that sort of thing. Like it takes those moments to really put it in perspective. And you, and even though you're humble all the time, it's those moments that it, it brings it to a head and you're able to go, wow, I'm, this really humbles me. You know, how does it affect you personally, Brent Cobb on the idea of humility in what you do for a living, knowing that you have this talent and knowing that you have the respect from so many peers. And I mean this, like people can, I mean, this is out there in the public's eye. Like you are one of the guys that people want to get in a room with. Now, my opinion of your other part of your career is going to take fruition in the next little bit from what I'm being told by a lot of industry people. And I know that you are going to say, well, you never know what's going to happen, Hoss and stuff like that. But I truly feel that you're going to be one of the biggest names in music. Not that you need to be doing anything better than you are right now. I'm just saying that the world needs to hear Brent Cobb's lyrics sung by Brent Cobb, but there's a lot of people that have cut Brent Cobb songs your songwriting is second to none. That's that's what people say across the board, and I can name the people that have said it. Mm-hmm. 
One of the coolest compliments I've ever heard is what Channing Wilson has said about you, and that, and when, and what Rob Snyder, the shirt you're wearing with Revival, when he when he heard "Shine on Rainy Day," the feeling that came over his body, and he just goes, "Wow, Brent Cobb has made it," and he said that on the show. I'm being long winded, Brent Cobb, but how does humility play the role, knowing how badass you are? But you have to wait your turn in line in this industry, it seems like. You've even written songs about trucks being in the way and that you're going to take your own dirt path and such as that. We could get into the lyrics, but you know where I'm going with that? How does ego play a role when you know you're so freaking good, but you still have to take take the time to wait your turn? When I was younger, I would get more impatient about it and get kind of pissed off when I, you know, didn't feel like what I knew I was capable of was being heard by everyone else and I, I still get impatient about it but what really helps me is you know i paying my bills with music for the last 15 years and you know my wife is a pharmacist and when our son was born two years ago she hasn't been back to work since she went she, she's got a cool setup where she can go work whenever she wants to at this little independent pharmacy but for the most part she hasn't had to go back to work i've paid all the bills, put all the food on the table and all by making music. And so that helps. Uh, just the other day, uh, I went, my sister had a little show in town that I surprised her and I showed up at a little local spot. And this guy walked over to the table and I'm sitting there with my parents. My mama gets more pissed off than I do when, <laughs> when folks don't, you know, think that I've done a whole lot. And, and this old guy came over and he said, man, uh, I heard you move back to, to town, you know, you know, how you're still doing music, that sort of thing. And uh, I was like, yeah, like I've said at a lot of shows, it's taken me 15 years to get to the bottom. I'm just glad to be here. And uh, <laughs> but, but I have for 15 years. I paid all my bills by making music. So, yes, I I am satisfied. And uh, but I, I, uh, I, you know, I can get I can still get impatient. And then when I get more impatient i look at willie nelson and nobody knew who he was until he was like 42 or 43 you know and so i got i still got mm, around about 10 years left and uh and and you know if willie could wait it out and as genius as he is and was then who am i to try to speed it up so at one time, one of your quotes on this podcast, Brent Cobb, was country music is going to do what country music does. Mm-hmm. Um, lo- love it. Love the humility just in that statement and the patience. Have it, has anything changed lately that you can tell us about? Is our thing starting to, what would I say, broaden? Are you seeing more? I am. I'm seeing more from where I sit and from where I stand and from where I travel. Are you starting to see it? I guess what I'm trying to ask you, Brent Cobb is, can you sense it? Does it start to feel different? Like when you think when it's getting ready to go, does it feel different? I think so. Maybe, uh, I, maybe I, it's just a part of the story. You know, if you, again, if you do it long enough, if we're just talking about me and my personal career path and my personal path in this career, uh, Maybe it feels different, but then it, at the same time, eventually it, it all is going to work, you know, if, if you stay persistent. And uh, that's all, you know, I'm, I'm always aware of that. I've, all, I've known since I was a kid that I would someday, I would be someone that everybody would know and respect. And, and uh, I've always known my talent was good enough 
And so it's really, I just got to keep that in the back of my mind. So maybe it feels different. I'm glad it didn't happen bigger earlier because I might would have been not as humble <laughs> as I am. <laughs> um, glad it's you, taken you, you're glad you, you broke up right there, Brent. You're, I'm sorry I didn't wasn't interrupting. You had a little glitch. Well, I'm glad that it's taken as long as it is taking. When you mentioned Willie Nelson at 42, there's another one of your good friends in Nashville that was kind of looked at as, I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brent, of like the best voice in Nashville when he headed up the steel drivers. Mm-hmm. You've been on tour with Chris Stapleton now. Um, you did, I think, two full years or maybe three with him and Marty Stewart. I know what he thinks of you. I know what his wife thinks of you. Um, and I don't know them. I'm just saying that I've read what they've written. I've read what I've heard what they've said. Um, what makes Chris Stapleton special in your opinion as a counterpart? Because he looks at you as the, the baddest ass there is in songwriting. He is a badass songwriter. He can deliver a song like no other. What makes Chris Stapleton, who he's become in, in America in country music, or is he even defined as country music? He's in a lot of different genres, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he he's kind of got that Dolly effect a little bit where Dolly was, you know, she's always just, according to her, considered herself a songwriter first. She's always known that she was amazing, but she also knew that she was country first and that but she also has said that she knew that her country roots could also be pop you know that they could it could go and uh but in 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 a good way and uh i think chris and i don't want to put words in his mouth but i think he's always known that about himself as well and uh similar to the way that i view it is he's always known that he was great and he didn't try to get in the way of the timing and the path. You know, I'm sure he got impatient and frustrated at times. And, uh, but he sort of waited it out. And he knew, you know, he knew just like I know, just like Dolly Parton know, knew and knows. And, uh, you know, I think that's if I don't think anybody's fooling themselves. You know what I mean? If, if I wasn't good enough, and I had it, and I had not been as good. I've always been good at songwriting. I've just always known, you know. And so, um, one of the few things that I was naturally just really good at, and and so I knew that someday that the people will catch on, you know. And uh, I think Chris is the same way. I think he he's always been aware of it for himself. You you made a statement right there, Brett, about you you're glad it didn't happen earlier and you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to just tell me pass um morgan wallen a friend of yours has experienced some ups and downs at a young age already with success and then that roller coaster hit rock bottom being taken off saturday night live invited back in the social media in the news on tmz then all of a sudden hit rock bottom with the last one um is this what you're referring to the age and maturity and success like that coming at somebody like that? What kind of person has Morgan Wallen been to you? Do you, how do you look at somebody like Morgan Wallen? Is he have mad skills? Is he as talented as we think he is in American country radio and touring and all this? What are you, what's your view on what's gone in maybe the last year and a half with his career? I think Morgan is a bad SOB and, uh, 
He's so, man, he's so good. Speaking of somebody to take, all right, here's what's funny is, is when, and when I say bro country, I don't necessarily mean the, your usual suspects. I, I just mean like there was some stuff that was going, some of that bro country was awesome, you know, by the way, and well done. But then there was a, a whole lot of it that was just intentionally, uh, not very smart and uh just to take money from people that were willing to buy so i'll preface it with that i knew in 2012 that there would someday be a person that would do that kind of stuff that that could be in the pop world you know musically but that would have lyrics that would have substance to it and it would be well done and uh that is exactly what morgan did and exactly what like Hardy Michael Hardy is doing and uh, they are who I knew would be around almost 10 years ago and uh, I couldn't wait and so Morgan did that and is really good at it and I think it's awesome I've been waiting on those dudes to show up for a long time with all that said uh, we need that in country music man maybe you know I don't know about exactly what he said but we need like people to that's some johnny paycheck shit you know that's some george jones shit like just causing something to talk about you know and uh that he's young man he's i mean if i again if i'd have been 24 25 when if i'd have got as famous as that dude's gotten i'd be hard to handle and uh and i think it's awesome that he is handling it though i mean he's like I don't know. I don't want to comment on like what, you know, the stuff that he's done, whatever. That's all beside the point. But another good part of it all is it proves what we talked about the last time we did a podcast together. Well, we were on the, when y'all took us out, me and my buddy Sean to uh, the Pacific Flyway out there in Klamath Falls. Uh, We were talking about how radio is slowly but surely losing its power. And if that Morgan Wallen scandal didn't do anything else, it proved that point even further because country radio canceled his ass. But for, I mean, I think he holds the record for the longest number one album, all genre, any chart for like how long? I mean, three months or something like that. No country radio involved. That's bad. And it's a great point too, because they were probably thinking that, oh, he needs us. And nope. it, and it and it proved the exact opposite. Yeah, dude. Brent, when you talk like that, is it fair to say, and again, I, I, I this is an assumption, and we all know what assuming can do to us, but do you wish you and your career and your talents and skills were during the Johnny Paycheck, David Allen Co. Outlaw? Willie Whalen, Chris Christopherson. You've already uh, told me before that uh, that Chris Christopherson's box set was a huge influence and inspiration to you. Are you better off being inspired and influenced by that time in country music, or do you kind of live by the analogy of the Leith Lofton? Your your buddy Leith Lofton wrote a song, our mutual friend, called "50 Years Too Late" with Drake White. That's kind of a cool analogy that you were born 50 years too late. Do you feel that? I think that 
I don't think times are as much different as we'd all like to think they were. I think everything's probably pretty close to the way they've always been. It's easy to like have that nostalgia and, and think that things were so much different. So I think I'm right where I should be in the right time and everything. Also, with that said, I think that, you know, I'm probably lucky to be in this time and not that time because they were all so good and doing, you know, you know, some, like I'm doing something similar to what they did. And I probably wouldn't have stuck out as well if I was around, you know, if my peers were fucking, sorry, my, uh, You're sorry, fine. I'm there. You're were, good. Alverson and Roger Miller and Willie and Waylon, everybody would probably be like, leave it to the pros, buddy. <laughs> so, but but I, I, with that said, naturally, I don't sit down and try to write like, oh, this is the way Christopherson would write it. It's just naturally, since I was, you know, 12, the way I've always written. And uh, so I think that those kind of songs that they were all doing back then were timeless. And I think if it's timeless, it, it never gets old. It doesn't seem dated. And so I think that's why what I do still works, you know. I, I have to ask you this because I know you would kill it. Um, I, and and you, you, you know the industry better than I did. I'm going back to Stapleton. He has taken songs that were proven at a certain time in country music and brought them back to the forefront of the younger generation's ears, being able to hear a song like Tennessee whiskey. And I want to clear, clear this up of what I've said. I would have bet a million dollars that David Allen Coe wrote Tennessee whiskey. I had no idea that he did not write that song. I was told he did. David Allen Coe did though, right? George. I, I, uh, he did. David Allen co-wrote Tennessee Whiskey, right? I don't know. When I looked it up, because I, I, I was having an argument, not an argument, but I was like, yeah, David Allen Coe wrote that song, and Chris Stapleton brought it back after George Jones did it. But this right here, when I looked it up, it says, now this is the one that says at the top of Google is the one that says song by Chris Stapleton. So is there a difference between the George Jones one? Because this one says the songwriters are Linda... Barth Bartholomew and Dean Dillon. Oh, I know Dean was a writer in that. Wow. You know, I would, I, I would have bet I, all the money I had that, that David wrote the song and he, he's not listed on it. I would have bet it also. I could text Dean and ask his ass, like who the hell wrote Tennessee whiskey. Now this one says, uh, George Jones version of Tennessee whiskey is written by because I are they the same exact song? Yeah, song. this this one is Dean Dillon and Linda Bartholomew. I'm about to text Dean. Look, I might I'm gonna still be here, but I'm gonna text him right now. Yeah, because that how how unreal is it that he did that? Hey, I'm still here. I may not be there. I got you. I, right. I I got you. I gotta know. Uh-oh, I got a new phone. I bet I don't have his damn number no more. <laughs> uh, I don't have his number, but I will. I'm going to find this out because now I have to know. I'll find it out when we get off, and now you can maybe plug it back in there or something. Um, I, I swore that I, I don't know why I thought David Allen Coe wrote it, but I, I've always 
had that in my head, and so did I, you, obviously. I know he did a version of it. I would have swore he wrote that song. But how amazing is that? Off subject real quick, because I want to go back to my question about Stapleton and your opinion on that. Um, Dean Dillon. Holy shit. He wrote Tennessee Whiskey. He wrote, I don't know how many number ones for the king of country music they call George Strait. He wrote The Chair. I mean, like, I, I think that it was like a bet if the story's truthful that I've heard. It's like, somebody's like, you could write about anything. You could probably write about that chair right there. And I think like, and then he did, right? Yeah, that's what I <laughs> Hey, one of the coolest things, the first time I ever wrote with Dean, uh, I was nervous, you know. It's, I, I don't like meeting my heroes. I think we've talked about that before because you just never know. They might ruin exactly your perception of them, and I just would rather yeah. think of them the way that I do. But I was on the way over there, and I got in, and, and we got to talking about Gary Stewart, and uh, I was telling Dean obliviously uh, – to his history with Gary Stewart about the first time I ever heard Empty Glass by Gary Stewart. Wade Bowen played it for me. I was out riding with Wade Bowen, and on his bus, he said, oh, man, you never heard Gary Stewart, Empty Glass. You got to hear this. And he gave me the whole rundown of uh, Dean's wife that he was truly in love with. Had uh, Not Dean, excuse me, Gary's wife that he was truly in love with had died, and then he just went in this super deep, dark depression and wrote this empty glass and all this stuff i'm telling dean dylan this story and then <laughs> dean dylan goes yeah you know when i went over there to gary's house and we wrote all those songs uh <laughs> what a dark time and he curtains pulled and yeah just like oh of course <laughs> all that I mean, he's probably he's probably thinking that you're telling the story knowing that Dean Dillon was a co-writer on the songs. <laughs> yeah. So you you unintentionally made yourself look like a fan, like you knew that he was writing with Gary Stewart. Yeah, I know everything about you, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> that that is so like that could be you someday, will be, and I no. think that probably DLM is in that going to be in that boat, right? Of like. He's just written like on everything, right? David Lee Murphy and maybe Rhett too, right? Rhett, Rhett's, Rhett's right there too, right? Yeah. Um, but back to Stapleton. Why don't you do that, Brent, on your albums? Because I think you would be amazing at it. Or is it something that your that your ego tells you that you don't need to do a cover? Or do you think you can't do the cover justice? Or why would Chris Stapleton do that when he's such a strong writer? Is he paying homage? He, I mean, he did The Last Thing I Needed, First Thing Today by Willie Nelson, which is an unbelievable country music song, country song, like country as hell, right? And he also did Tennessee Whiskey. Why does he do that, in your opinion? Because he made Tennessee Whiskey a number one again. Yeah, um, well. You you're, I, I, you can do covers, but uh, sorry, I'm not interrupting you. But why don't you do it, and why does he do it? I don't. I don't intentionally go. Well, I'm not going to do a cover. Uh, I'll say this. With that said, I just did a whole album that I, the only song I wrote was one of them, and so the rest of them are all covers. They're all. I just made a gospel album, a southern gospel album, and so I was going to bring this. I was going to bring this up because I've been told by five people. I've counted them. That it is absolutely jaw on the ground, man. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm just. It's the most proud of any project I've ever done for sure. But uh, 
The other reason, though, why a lot of times I don't cover songs is because I'm just terrible at remembering lyrics to songs that I don't write. Even if it's a song, The Joker, that, you know, that I've heard, I mean, 500 times. I cannot remember lyrics for unless I write. But if I write it, I, I can remember a song I wrote when I was 10 years old. And but I can't remember other people's lyrics for some reason. It's so funny. You just said that I was at PCB when I was supposed to hang with you two weeks ago. And I ran into this new artist out of Georgia, who, by the way, is an unbelievable fan of yours. Uh, have you heard the name Chase Baker? I don't he, know. That name's he, he opened for Confederate Railroad this past Saturday night at a, at a Kentucky gig. Um, big fan of yours, comes from Georgia. He participated in the Battle of the Bands for the Gulf Coast Jam and got second. Um, got some talent, big fan of yours. But we start talking, and I go, he, he as part of him becoming the top two bands, he was invited to play at this live event on a, after the concerts were over one night. So we went and watched him and he calls me up on stage mm-hmm. to sing because he knows I love music and guess yep. what freaking song he asked me to sing with him, the Joker. And I couldn't remember the Joker, the smoker of midnight. <laughs> and I'm in Chad Payne who, who works with Zach Brown band and one of my dear friends. He, I, I walk off the stage kind of embarrassed, but I wasn't really because I just went up there and I'm glad I did because it taught me how hard and difficult it is to do what y'all do with all the crowd out there. And Chad Payne's his first words goes, how in the F did you not remember the words to the Joker? And I go, dude, I don't know the words to the Joker and I've heard it 500 times. Right. <laughs> it's crazy, right? That way with any song that I didn't write. Yeah. It can be sweet home Alabama. I mean, I can't remember. I just, I don't know why my brain just doesn't click that way. With it being said, what I just asked about Stapleton, what is it to make a song your own? Because, you know, there are guys out there that will go into a cover series. Like we just mentioned Zach Brown. You've seen Zach live. Devil went down to Georgia. He does Coldplay. He does Guns N' Roses. He does Metallica. What does it mean to be a somewhat of a cover band, but also be able to write like Zach and the crew can do, play like Clay, and, you know, you're friends with all of the Blackberry Smoke guys and the Zach Brown guys, but when you start talking about Coy Boyles and Clay Cook, these are some of the best guitar players in all of music, in my opinion these guys can these guys can play any song out there what does it mean to you brent cobb that a band like that would cover that many songs is it kind of show a weakness or does it show dude this is one of the baddest ass bands Uh, in the world that can do this shit i think it's the coolest shit in the world yeah when you can do it and you don't seem like a cover band you just yeah i i it's it's a level of uh musicianship that i don't have and you gotta be real good and morgan is she said something about chris way he covers stuff he's just got a knack for it he'll just hear you know because there are some bands that'll do it like uh uh uh, american aquarium just put out their new record have you listened to that the band but i saw i I wanted to go to the con was it last night they played down at basement east i wanted to be in nashville for it maybe certified twangers it's all a cover album of like 90s country songs and they did them damn exactly like they were recorded which is also cool because you don't it doesn't seem that way it doesn't seem like a cover band did it just seems 
it's awesome. And uh, but then you have people like Chris that will completely rework a song and it doesn't sound anything like the original version. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's, you know, well, Rowdy, Jason Cope used to say input output. And so you just need to learn a ton of songs because anything you put in, it's going to inspire your subconscious to put something out. And uh, so he was always a big supporter of covering a bunch of songs. And so I listened to a lot of music, but I, I'm not, you know, I used to play in cover bands and, and I knew a bunch of those songs, but I'm just not good at, well, maybe I'm not, not good at it. I just don't try to, to cover anything someday. Maybe I will, but uh, I think it's a whole art form in itself. I got two more cover questions for you. Have you heard of the band, and I don't know if they're still around or together, but they were called the Gourds, G-O-U-R-D-S. Yeah, I'm not super familiar, but I know that name, yes. So we're sitting around. I don't remember if it was when I got back from Florida or if it was on the beach in PCB, but I played Snoop Dogg's Gin and Juice by the Gourds. Rolling down the street, smoking in, and they got the fiddles going. Juice, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is genius how they did it, right? two people walk up and go dude that's one of the best songs ever i love the gourds that when they did that song i'm like you know that that's a 1990s rap number one by snoop dogg right gin and juice and it's it's real slow and they're like no it's not that's the gourds they had no idea that that was a cover that's a funny cover story right there bro we used to cover the gourds cover of that song (laughs) (laughs) i i love that the other question i have on a cover is back to stapleton what if he wanted to cover a Brent Cobb song in your heart and soul, Brent, what do you think he just puts the, the nails, like just drives it home. Like every nail in the coffin, just like delivers it the way Brent Cobb saw that song being delivered. Here's an example. I've heard you do tailgate blues. I pers- I personally think that Luke Bryan can sing a country song. I truly do. Whether it was all my friends say, or whether it was when he did your song tailgate blues, he's got a new uh, one of your new songs. Um, where are we going on his new album? Is it called where are we going? Yeah. Uh, or where have we been? Oh, uh, yeah. Where are we going? Yeah. Where are, where are we, we going? going? He cover he does that. And he does a Randy Montana song about a boat on the new album. He can sing a country song. What would Chris Stapleton do if you got to sit down in a room and he wanted to talk to you about, hey, I want to I want to do one that you've already recorded, not one I, that you wrote and he's cutting, uh, but one that you've already recorded. I think, I think Chris would murder Shout on Rainy Day or uh, Let the Rain Come Down. I think he would. Mm. God. I, see, I don't know if I want to hear anybody else sing Shine on Rainy Day except you, though, because when you hit that first note, like I've told you, like it, it, it plays every day wherever I'm at. And it's like, a, it's a, that is a song about life. In my opinion, both verses. Ableton, we all need rain alone. I mean, he would like, Oh, that would be it, sick. Man. Why don't you text no, Chris Stapleton and, and. Well, even huh? imagine him. Yeah. I've loved strangers, man. He would kill that song. It'd be so good. Now, do you ever see something like this happening? Because that song should be have worldwide fame. Like, I mean that. Like, that is one of the best songs written. If you listen to the flow of that song and, and whether it's the, 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 you know, the progression of it, I think the lyric is 
I don't even know how many times I've said you're genius, but is it fair to use that word genius? Because I don't even know what the definition of genius is. I think a genius is a high IQ, right? Like you got to have a 145 to 160 IQ. When it comes to songwriting, I may be a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this song is genius. Thank you. Why don't you? Why don't you? Say, Chris, just try it and see what it does for you. Well, I'll say this. As someone who, you know, also makes my own albums, I don't know. I've tried to send stuff like that to people. Uh, I won't name names, but for some reason, I don't get responses. And uh, I don't know. Because they don't think they can do it. Because they don't think they can do it. Well, I'll I'll say this. Miranda Lambert, me and Hood were writing with Miranda the other day, a couple weeks ago. And she said to me and Adam both, she said that y'all need to start getting someone else to sing your demos of songs that you would like someone else to record because y'all's phrasing and the way you do them, it makes people feel like, well, we can't do it like that. And so they wind up, it like hurts us more than it helps us. Oh, here's a great example of that, that you just brought that up. Another guy that you and I both think is genius, (laughs) Chris Knight. Um, I played a song for you that Chris Knight said, send it on down, you know, on his newest album. Oh, yeah. they, uh, Leanne cut that song. She sings harmonies on his album version, but then she cut it on her album. And mm-hmm. I love her. I think Leanne can sing like as good as any female ever, besides Dolly, probably. That's Miranda's so- right there. Miranda's my new Dolly, by the way. Um, yeah. But it's not the same because Chris Knight's phrasing. You can't there. I think Blake Shelton cut. Uh, it's not easy being me. And it's not the 1997 version of it's not easy. Well, being. Like, could you do rural? Could you do rural route and kill it the way that Chris Knight does? It? Hell no. But I would do it just because I love this. <laughs> and uh, that's actually one that I would I've I've actually considered doing a cover of. Um, Leanne is so great about doing covers, whether whether you like them as much as the first one you heard or not, she uh, she actually did do a cover of Shine On Rainy Day, and she did a she recorded a song that I wrote called Fly that she sang the harmony on my demo of that I never I've never released it, but she also put that one on one of her albums, and it's so good. She's so good. Oh, she is. Um, now, does that does that phrasing deal though? Does that when Miranda says that to you and Adam, does a, a bell go off of like, well, damn it, maybe she's right. Totally. Yep. Because I, I, I can't, I can't hear anybody doing digging holes like you, which that song is genius. Like that. If you, the, the meaning of every verse in that is so you can't write a song better than that. And I mean that, like I'll put that, the, the lyrics of these songs up against anything. And I know that you don't need me kissing your ass because you already know how I feel about your music, but man, I think it's intimidating Brent. And a lot of these songwriters that get in the room with you, Kyle, Daniel, Kyle has said it on the show. Paul McDonald has said it on this show. Paul just left here last week. He came out and did a gig for me, which I got to tell you about. It was un, it was amazing. <clears throat> they both said the same thing, how intimidating it is to get in the room with you. You're not an intimidating person stature wise. You're a low key, nice, sweet Southern man. That's not like all roided out, ready to bounce you out of a bar on a Friday night in mobile, Alabama. What's that? Yeah. 
I said narrow just, shoulders and everything. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think that the talent is they the, the, a lot of these artists think that they can't do the song justice. That's all it's got to be. Because in reality, if I heard Shine on Rainy Day, if that came on the highway or whatever one of these music stations you listen to on Spotify or iHeart Music or whatever, people can, or Spotify is not a good one because that's not really a DJ, I guess, but people couldn't help but go, holy shit from the first strum and the first note of the song. Like that's to me, that's what is going on in your career is that people are like, I don't think I can do that song better. Brent's got to get somebody else to deliver his songs I, to me. I, I hate it that way. I feel like it's a new, like a, a musical cultural era problem. I think it's in, because, you know, we've talked about this back in the day. I mean, there were however many versions of Sunday morning coming down, you know, and if, you know, if I would have heard, Sunday morning coming down, I'd be like, shit, I can't do it like Chris did. And, but it's like, they didn't care. Like Johnny was like, well, hell no, I'm going to do it anyway. Waylon was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Even though that, you know, they all respected the hell out of Christofferson, you know? And so, you know, or even if you didn't hear that version first, if you heard the Johnny version first, you know, you'd be like, I ain't going to try that one, but, but why not just do it? You know, I think it's cool as shit for, for there to be, five different versions of a great song you know i don't i wish that would go away when it comes to a version of a great song we've also talked about your cousin the experience of keep them on their toes produced by you and another producer not dave cobb um, Mm -hmm. recorded in a different studio not in nashville it's an unbelievable out in front lyric out in front album every song god i love that album it is so good um the gospel album was not produced by you and another producer. It was not recorded somewhere else. It was back to your roots. Explain to me why. Did you just have this notion in your head that this project needed his touch? Did you know that he could get it produced the way that you were hearing it in your head? Or what happened with this? Slightly, but it was mainly because uh, the Southern Gospel, Dave's grandmother was a Pentecostal preacher, and we met through, you know, a uh, uh, church, uh, somebody had died, a funeral, and uh, and that person, his that was also his other grandmother. That was my great aunt. She was she would come to our church and like sing one of the gospel songs I put on the gospel album. She would come to our church and do the guest music. And um, Dave and I have talked when I wasn't touring and I wasn't putting out albums when Lila was first born. He he was like, man, please let's just go make an... I, no, no, this is even before that. This was probably 2012. He had just moved to Nashville. I'd been there for a minute. And he's like, let's go make a record. We could we should go do it at the old church and not to make a gospel album, but just just to capture that whole Southern vibe. And, uh, and so... And he's my cousin. And so we're just... It's blood, you know. And, uh, and so... For the gospel album, I just hit him up. It was like, it hit me one day. It was like, man, I got to make a Southern gospel album. I've been listening to all the Jerry Lee Lewis country stuff. And and so I just texted Dave and said, man, when are we going to make the Southern gospel album? And uh, we had never talked about it, you know, And but he was just the dude, you know, for multiple reasons. And uh, he said, you just tell me when. And so that's why it happened with Dave. Because he's he just, the, he was the, historically, uh, personally, Musically, he's just the right person for it. Do you 
I've been told this in the last two weeks that this is going to, this project is going to bring Brent Cobb's name to a different level than where it's been. Have you been hearing this? Do you sense it? I asked this 20 minutes ago about sensing things, but I've heard that this project is like unbelievable work. Is it, is it going to go mainstream? Does it have potential to go mainstream? Can a gospel album go mainstream? Because I know that George Strait and, and everybody under the country music moon has put out a Christmas album and people listen to them at home, but it's not really radio play, right? Unless it's one of those dedicated Christmas stations during the holidays. Can a gospel album go mainstream for Brent Cobb? I don't know. I know that this album is real good. And, uh, you know, even if it's not like mainstream, I just know that it'll continue to uh, put my legacy in concrete. And, you know, it's it's I, I know it's mine and all, but it's real good. And, uh, and um, I tried to do it in a way that was even if you don't believe in God and you didn't grow up around these Southern gospel standards, you would still enjoy it. And it's you know, it's, it's done that way. And uh I don't know. I don't know what'll happen with it, but I know that I'm really proud of it. And again, it just adds to my library of records that I have made since my kids were born, which Channel Rainy Day was the first one after Lila was born. And it was, you know, this is like where daddy's from. And then Providence Canyon was here are stories about the people and places that, that I'm from. And then keep them on their toes is this is what daddy thinks about. And then this gospel album is this is what Daddy believes in, and so it's just adds to all of that. And what's the name of it? It's going to be called "And Now Let's Turn to Page." Dot dot dot. Oh, I love it. That's, what, that's, a preacher, what, that's what a preacher would say. Exactly in the in the Southern Baptist churches, you know, when you're doing the hymnals, they'll go "And Now Let's Turn to Page 435." You know, um, has. Miranda heard it. Has Adam Hood heard it? Has anybody that I know heard it? And what was their reaction? If you can let a little bit out of the bag. Miranda not heard it. Um, I actually, Adam sequenced it. He put the songs in order for me. And uh, I sent it to him because Adam comes from that Southern gospel. Um, that's, those are his roots as well. And when I sent it to him, he was like, this is special. And um, he took a lot of time to, he had two different ways that we, that he had an idea of us. See. And um, he just, he's over the moon about it. It, made, it pumped me up. And when's the release? Awesome. Uh, January of, of 2022. And, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, it used to be a rite of passage as a country singer artist to make a gospel album and i don't know that like wade bowen did one but other than that that i'm aware of i think like alan jackson was the last one to do it and so i'm just trying to keep that tradition alive you know if you're a country singer you gotta make a gospel album you just brought up aj have you heard his new album at all i've listened to some of it man i think it's great god it's so good i love every song on it Speaking um, of, how crazy is that one song, uh, Where Did Country, the, where, where Have You Been, or something like that? And the song that I played you that I wrote when I was 12 years old called Where Did Country Go? Yeah. 
it's the not, same thing. It's crazy. You should you should release that song because when I heard it in Klamath Falls, oh boy, is it good. Well, and now Alan Jackson already did one like it, so everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, Brent's just trying to do what Alan Jackson did." I'd be like, "Bitches, I did this when I was twelve years old." <laughs> is is he a friend of yours? Have you co-written with Alan Jackson? Is Alan Jackson from Georgia? Yeah, he's from Noonan. I've tried to be buddies with him. I've tried to to just be in touch with him, and I I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I can't I can't get him on the on the line for some reason. I know, intimidated. I <laughs> just don't want to do it. He don't want to do it, man. No, I'm just kidding. AJ AJ is one of the best. What legend. is your opinion? What is your, you just said legend to AJ. Legend is an amazing level to get to in this area, in my opinion. Okay. You got the possum, you got Don Williams, in my opinion, you got Waylon and you got, I, we could, I mean, Chris will be there. Uh, Willie's huh. there. George Strait's there. Is Garth Brooks there? Is Garth Brooks a mad talent? Are you a fan of Garth Brooks? And what is up with this man, his career now, of being able to keep doing what he's doing, but he's kind of weird to me now. And I don't know if that's mean to say, but he's just gotten weird to me. And I don't know if it's money and like the church of Scientology when these people go a little bit goofy when they get too much money. But what's up with Garth Brooks, Brent Cobb? Is Garth Brooks a Scientologist? I don't know, but he just comes off as one to me, dude. I don't know. I I think, you know, I love that early Garth Brooks stuff. I don't know what the hell he's. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> so, but I, I can remember my my folks, my mama, even back in the nineties. Like we'd watch the CMAs, and my mom would be like, "I like his music, but there's that, there's something crazy behind those eyes." <laughs> really? Are you serious? Yeah, I can remember them saying that back then. You know. And, so and, then, I, and then, and then, a couple years later, your mom is probably holding up the Chris Gaines album, going, "See, Brent, I told you so." Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. told you so. I, 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 is he legend though? Is Garth Brooks like the, the dude sells out like fifteen nights in a row when he goes on tour at the same area, at the same convention, at the same I mean, I, stadium? You can dispute that he is for sure a legend, and he, and it, especially. Uh, the history books will say so as well. No, so I don't, I can't, I can't imagine that Garth Brooks isn't a legend. Do you feel that? Oh man, I, I don't even want to ask that because I've been having these weird thoughts, Brent Cobb, about your genre of, of what you do for a living. What I love just talking with you about. I feel that there's many country artists that have been, become big in the last decade to 15 years that will never go down in that book that you just mentioned. And that mm. many of these, many of these careers will be forgotten. Now I don't expect you to respond to that or talk on that subject because I understand your position as a songwriter and the way that you create revenue for you and your family and food on the table. But in my opinion, Brent Cobb, I think there's many careers I don't care how many billboards there are around Nashville or how many 3D cutouts there are of these artists. I think a lot of them are going to be forgotten because they don't hold water to what songwriting, lyrics, and country music and then the standard was supposed to be. And I don't know that's, if that rings true with you at all, but I just that's how I'm feeling right now. It's hard to say, you know, because when you when you have press and marketing and you know, there's people that get paid to write the the history books 
you know, they'll, these people are going to always be known. I don't know if, if, I don't know how they'll register in the people's psyche, you know, as the years go by, it's hard to, only time will tell. Um, I will say that I hope that on the other side of that coin, the people that don't have the press behind them, the people that don't have the major labels behind them, the independent artists that we've seen a resurgence of in the last 15 years, you know, people like Tyler Childers and Cody Jinks and Sturgill and the folks that, that may not be household names. I hope that history will surely let them be uh, remembered as well, because there's a lot of cool shit going on that, that isn't in people's households right now, but, but it's big shit, you know? And uh, matter of fact, I'm writing a song about all that right now, but uh, that's all I can disclose. This, I've been wanting I to write this song for 10 years, and I'm finally right. <clears throat> I can't wait to hear it. Um, I guess another way of saying what I'm trying to say to you is that I can picture myself watching Brent Cobb, Cody Jinks, um, maybe Sturgill, but who else did you just name about the household name? Who was the other one that uh, that aren't fairly household names? Yeah, Tyler yeah, Childers. Yeah. Tyler Childers. Like the dude is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I could picture me watching all of you in Adam Hood when you're 60, 70 years old. Now, what I mean by that is I don't think that that's how long it's going to take for you guys to be huge. I'm saying that's how I you're judge music. Like, I, yeah, totally. I can go watch Travis Tritt right now for a three-hour set and be mesmerized. Speaking of Travis Tritt, thank you so much for helping me get him on this show. It was freaking unbelievable talking to him. Awesome. I didn't know that it happened for sure. Good. I want you to listen to it because we talk about you. I don't know. I think some of my country music or songwriting guests probably know now when they come on here that they're going to have to talk about Brent Cobb. (laughs) That's what Adam said when you, he said, man, have you listened to that uh, uh, Hayes Carl episode? And I said, no. He's like, well, I don't know if it's Hayes Carl or you episode. <laughs> man, uh, he's about to put out a great album, by the way. He is so freaking badass, dude. Thank you for introducing me to him because he was blown away, Brent, because I was texting him pictures of me and him together over a decade ago. And he's like, you're shitting me. He goes like, I'm like, yeah, that's the crystal Bay club in Lake Tahoe. You opened for Robert Earl Keen that night. That's the nut. He goes, boy, we were all kinds of tore up that night. Weren't we Hoss and all this shit, dude. Wow. Um, but I, I could go watch Hayes Carl when he's 60 because of the library and the catalog. <clears throat> I just don't know if a lot of this mainstream country music is going to do that, well, I think Miranda. I think Miranda's going to be on stage when she's sixty and still doing it. Um, totally. Hey, I may have to go get. Let me get a phone charger real quick, and we'll pick right back up because I don't want my phone to yeah, die. Yeah, you're good. Like, before in the past, I'll be right back. You're good. I'm just going to keep this one going. I'm not even going to cut it. I'm looking at uh, where Brent Cobb was just sitting. I can see part of his guitar, the tuning keys of his guitar. I love this dude, man. Good insight on the music industry and what it means to be a songwriter. It is so hard to be a good songwriter, to be able to tell a story in three minutes and have so many people listen to it. I think it's an amazing, amazing talent. And I'm so envious because I really want to be a songwriter. 
Maybe not so much a singer, maybe a shower singer. But Sorry, here man. comes Brent Cobb. You're good. I was just keep I was just doing a little uh, narration while you were gone telling the audience what it means to be a songwriter in my opinion. Hopefully this so, it'll reach. We're so close. Let me move the angle here. Damn it. Sorry, man. You're good. Does that mess it up if I do it on the side like that? Is that going to mess anything up? I don't think so. Looks fine. Your mom and dad have a beautiful house there, buddy. Yeah, this is the house I grew up in. Little little brick home. I think Miranda wrote a song about that or sang a song about that. Oh yeah. What was that song that that, the house that built me? Yeah. All right, I think I'm good now. I think I'm charging. Let's see. Yeah, we're charging now. We're good to go. Uh, so anyway, so, I, I, I'll, I'll finish it by saying that I just see something about longevity um, and legacy. And there's other areas in the world that obviously you leave your footprint and your legacy and, and everything that you do, right? Mm-hmm. The song that you wrote on the new Travis Tritt album. The title track of the album is about that. And when and when Travis explained it on this show, it don't matter if you're a carpenter or a, a ditch digger or you dig wells for homes, you leave your legacy in some format. Even if you're just yep. a great father or mother, he says on this show. But when you when you go out and you and you're creating revenue and you're becoming an artist, I just hope that people see these artists that are out there and start to hear the artists more and more. And I know that your audience continues to grow, but it just blows my mind that the selection of songs in mainstream country music are what they are and not what I feel they should be. It just blows my mind, bro. Well, here's my, my daddy always instilled in me when I started writing songs and he, he would go well, you know, the thing that you want to always try to do is write songs that you could be nine or 90 and you could enjoy it. And there's, it doesn't matter. And so I think the artists that we're talking about that will enjoy when they're 65, when we're, you know, old is they, I think they do that. You can be a kid or you can be 90 years old and, and it all appeals to you. It's not just for, the college crowd or whatever, you know? And I think that's part of that appeal. Yeah. I, okay. So let me ask you this though. Let me ask you this about your dad's ideology or his thoughts. When he told you that could a nine year old enjoy Chris Knight's catalog? I think maybe not all of it, but I think that there are, yeah, for sure. I built a fire up on a hill. Sat in the woods, drank my fill, talked to God all night. You know, talked to God all night. Talking about being in, in the woods, you know. Some of it a, a nine-year-old may not get. But then I can remember listening to Legend of Woolly Swamp 
you know, by Charlie Daniels and just thinking that was cool as hell when I was like 10 years old. And Ooh, that's so, a good, that's a good, that, that, that I would never describe that as a kid's song because it's supposed to be scary, but that is like right. a little fairy tale, isn't it? Right. What are you getting ready to strum right now? Whatever you want me to. I didn't have anything. I was just grabbing a guitar just for, just to hold it. I want to so bad get you and Chris in the room again. Are you going to do this? What's that? Get in a room with Chris Knight again. I'd like to. Well, I text you both. Did anything come about it on the group text? Not yet, but uh, I'll hit him back up. God, I just, I I mean, I love how you feel about him. Uh, Anyway, I, there, there's so many words to songs that I feel people need to hear that hit you in the gut. And I don't get hit. Okay, Brent, I'm, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this freaking subject. And I apologize. I don't get hit in the gut a lot with country music radio today. I just don't. I just don't get that silver tongue devil that you talk about with Christofferson. I don't get Wayland's style. I don't get that. Uh, now Stapleton shit, the dog song. I mean, come on. It, how how do you write a song about a dog and make it number one? Right, that's Chris Stapleton to a T, right you, there. Right. Did, did I tell you the time that me and Chris wrote, like years ago, twenty twelve? I came in and I had an idea about a dog named Rastus, <laughs> and and Chris said, I don't know if I feel like writing about a dog, and that <laughs> summer bitch went and wrote a song about a dog. <laughs> and then made it number one. <laughs> oh god. How what kind of guy is he behind the scenes? Is he a sweetheart of a man? Yeah, man. He's a really intelligent person that uh very studious and uh just a good old dude, you know. On a on a night at the end of a tour, he kinda cuts loose a little bit more than normal, but uh for the most part he stays pretty pretty straight and you know, he's a good dude. I'd like to I've only I've met him twice I've never gotten to know him though when you start talking about your your catalog how do you go about what's the mindset behind the studio and the album and then the stage presence of Brent Cobb the chicken dance the hair the clothes the ensemble the band the percussion the atmosphere the culture how do you go about figuring out how you're going to entertain a crowd, Brent, the song list, the set list, the flow of it. You just said that you just said that Adam hood put the gospel record together. There's something to be said about the flow of an album to keep somebody's interest. It's not just about the cuts or the singles. It's about the whole album and listening to that project. How do you, how do you describe your approach to stage and entertaining me when I'm in the audience? Well, we've said before, I'm not really an entertainer, but I do. It's something that I've had to learn. Well, I've had to learn set lists change and you sort of have to, I'll come up with a master set list and I'll go, well, these are definitely the songs we're going to do. Here is the initial idea of order um, of songs of the show, but you don't really know until you go out and you kind of play it in front of people. And then once we play a show, then I'll have a, I have a better idea of the way people react. And I don't like a whole lot of lag time on stage. I like there to always be 
uh, the moment a song is done, we're going into another song or something, you know, something, whether the band's fapping on something. I just don't want there to be any time for awkward silence, you know? Ooh, I like, okay, so with your ability to tell a story, do you like to narrate any part of the show? Or I'll do that, or I'll tell a story. Yeah, some in some spots, but I've tried to not, I used to talk a little too much, and so I try not, I, I tell good stories when the moment's right, but I try not to take up too much time doing that now. I met I met a friend of yours, and I don't know how good of a friend Dylan Carmichael is to you. He came on the show a couple weeks ago. Big fan Dylan. of you again, and he probably got worn out of me bringing up Brent Cobb. I don't know if he was a forewarned or not, but he, and I don't know if you know the story, but he told a story on the podcast, and it's getting ready to air, about Johnny Paycheck and Mel Tillis. Have you heard the story about the hotel room in Nashville? Oh, yeah. He, this one, when Roger Miller was there, too, right? <laughs> I, I didn't know that part. I, maybe he said it, but I don't remember Roger being it. But it's when they get back to the hotel room from partying all night in they Nashville. And, and, breaking in? Well, they broke in and stole his guitars. Oh, I don't know. I've heard a different version of this story. Oh, oh well, then maybe. The, is it the one where, where the cops come and they're trying to take a report from Mel Tillis, though? Maybe. I don't know about that part. Keep going. Well, no. I met Mel Tillis one time in California, and – if you if you study a little bit about the man's career, he had a stuttering problem, but mm-hmm. only when he talked. When he was on stage right. singing or on album, sing. he never right. stuttered. Right. So the cops come to take the police report, and I, I don't know if he's got a little buzz going on mixed with his stutter, but he's like, that, that, and the, the cops can't follow him. He's like, and the guitar, and, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Johnny Paycheck goes, Mel, Mel. And he looks sing over it. at him, and the cops look over, and he goes, sing it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what the whole story was, is he goes, sing it. The story that I heard was that Roger Miller and Johnny Paycheck and Mel Tillis were all sharing a room at a hotel together. And they had all been, Roger and them, and Johnny had been partying all night. And so Roger loses his room key. And so he knew that they had left the, the window unlocked. And so Roger starts to crawl in through the window and Mel doesn't realize that they're trying to crawl in, that it's them, trying that they'd lost the room key. And so he wakes up, and he's trying to go, Roger, somebody's breaking in the window, and he can't get it out. So he goes, Roger, there's someone breaking through the window. And he sings it <laughs> instead. I wonder what's true. But the, the most fascinating part of the whole story – is that three of the top country musicians of that time are sharing a hotel room. All hanging out. I know. It's awesome. <laughs> hanging out. I think, I think that is so badass. Um, you're okay. Back to your library. Do you, how should I ask this? You told us how the album progression went and what you taught, ex- how you explain it to your kids. Have you become a better songwriter mm-hmm. since shine? Do you feel in your heart that you continue to improve? Is there any room for improvement? I know your ego is going to not get in the way here, and you're going to say, of course there is. But can you get better than Shine? Do you feel that you've hit that again? And uh, do, how, 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 do you, how do you figure out, like, well, this song is going to make the album? Because there's, that's a lot to, to, to lean up against. That's a lot to be compared to, uh, that first album, in my opinion. I, I've never, I'll say, Mr. Uh, when I 
first moved to town when the Oak Ridge Boys were cutting that first song, Hold Me Closely. At that time, I was 22 or 23, and Miss Jessie Coulter came by the studio, and I was in like a sort of a writer's block. I, did, I felt like the stuff that I had written on that very, very first album, uh, I wasn't living up to those songs. And uh, I said to Miss Jessie, I was like, I feel like I can't write anything right now. And she said to me, well, honey, you're living right now. And then when it's time to write, you'll write again. Don't worry about it. Live while you're living. And so I have never worried about it again. And so I, uh, I, you know, I don't think about it like that. I just, I, when I'm not writing and I can't get anything to come out easy, I don't worry about it. I just live. And, uh, and then when it's time to write, I write. And then when, when it comes to making an album time, um, I don't, and I don't have necessarily an intentional direction, but I will have songs that I have written over several months and that will, they'll kind of start uh, making their own theme. That will be a direction that I'll go, Oh, okay. Well, these three songs are pointing in this direction. And so then I'll make the album. Got it. So, can you hear me good? I, I don't know. I, we're losing a little bit of the connection. What's your connection look uh -oh. like right now? You're losing me? No, me you're getting better now. You're Let's try that. This It can be a little spotty here. I, I hear you good, though. I see you good. How much, what's the comparison of living and writing for your for your career? Do you write every day? Do you do you jot down notes in your phone every? Would you say that you jot down a lyric or song idea in your phone every day? Mostly every day. I might skip a day or two here and there, but uh, usually when I put it down and uh, and let's say I go a whole day and I just don't even pick up the guitar, I don't even think about music. I might listen to some old records or something. Most of the time, and during those days when I'm just like getting ready to throw something on the grill or dancing around with the kids, I will come up with a good song because I'm not trying to think about it. And I'll just, you know, just in the moment, just sing something, a melody or something. And, and so I just try to have balance on both sides. Okay. So then take me back real quick before we sing a song, before you sing a song, that was not intentional. I didn't mean we. I don't think that I could do a duo with the Brent Cobb. Maybe yeah, I can't. I think you could. I think we have. What was the mindset? What you just explained kind of when an idea comes. How does the first line come about on Shine? And I and I I, I I'm not trying to say that your whole career is based on this one song, okay? No. But yeah. that first line of that song is insane and then it goes into one of the best verses i feel that's ever been written in country music like it's it's I, jamie johnson chris knight-esque to me bro the way that this song's written I, how, I mean, how does I it could, come about i can remember kicking my foot up on the couch at carnival and i had that i had the chord progression already and uh and i just the first thing I said was like, what if I, what if I'd love that Christopherson stuff where they just write about their moment, you know, and in life and what they've done and what they've seen and what they've experienced. And, and so I just was like, damn it. I've been doing this a long time too. I have nothing to prove, you know what? And people can relate to that in their life. And so the, the first line to that song that I sang was the first line. I've loved strangers. 
I've dodged deals and dangers, searching for my own little peace from the countryside to the slick city streets. Just thinking about moving to L.A. and being in South Georgia. Wait a minute. And then so w- when you kick your foot up on the couch, Brent, have you written it already? Are you singing it for somebody for the first time? Or are you just sitting no. there writing it in your head? Just, I'm just writing it right then. No freaking way. Yeah. Just what have I done in my life? Well, I've loved strangers. And then I was probably in the middle of some sort of publishing deal, you know, and dodged deals and dangers, learned every which way of the game, how some things do and some don't change. And just this is what's going on right now, you know. So is there a witness to this? I don't know. I doubt it. I was probably, I think it seems like I was at Carnival just after a co-write or something, and, you know, just doing that thing. So then what happens in a songwriter's mind? Because now you can't take a chance to forget what you just laid down. Do you have to drop the guitar and write it down right away? Or do you have that mind that you, that you did the whole verse and then went back and, and then polished it up a little? Usually if it's, if it's good and, and I'm writing it by myself, I will keep, I won't forget it. I'll get it to a point where I'm pretty far down the road. I'll get, you know, the whole verse wrote. And then, uh, and usually I try to get myself written into a hook before I actually go, okay, I don't want to forget how I'm phrasing this. So then I'll pick up my phone and record what I got, you know. Did you, rec- were you record? Did you have a recording device going when you put your foot up on the couch? No, no, I won't. Holy I won't shit. put it down. I won't put it down. And like I said, until I get, you know, I wrote the whole verse and then, uh, ain't it funny how little thunder makes my ass start to wonder. Uh, when I got to about that point, I was like, all right, I don't want to forget how I'm doing this. And so then I picked up my phone and recorded what I had. Okay, so does this song get completed 100% solo, or did you have a co-writer on it? No, so I wrote that first verse and that uh, half the chorus, and then weeks later I had that co-write with uh, Andrew Combs, and we just shot the shit for a couple hours, and uh, and he played me some songs of other people. like He played me the Larry John Wilson stuff, I played some of that Delbert and Glenn stuff. And uh, and then after a couple hours, like we tried to write some other songs and it just wasn't really happening. And so I said, man, I got this little piece of a song that I, I, I know is good. And I think you would write the hell out of it with me. And so then we just wrote it. And, and he know originally, right because he came up with the actual line uh shine on rainy day but the way we wrote it that day was thank god for rainy days and then he sent over a work tape on his phone and he had changed that lyric to shine on rainy day i was like damn man that is so good and so so when when a when a boy or a girl does good in life or something good happens in in somebody's life you hear that term like hey keep shining keep shining on um it's been written in in in, in other songs of like um i think collective soul wrote a song about having your shine on or something yeah yeah um does it mean 
that it's okay to have dark days and that those dark days have made you the man and the woman that you are. Totally. So, hey, yep. go ahead and keep shining in. You're just making me the better person. That's it. Shine on rainy day. We need the rainy days so you get the sunny days, you know. They don't mean as much without them rainy days. Yeah, you're telling the rainy day to keep doing what it does. When That's most it. people when most people find a reason to bitch about a cloudy, gloomy, low ceiling, overcast, dark day, uh, you hear about stories in places such as Seattle of the suicide rate because it rains so many days up there. You guys are turning it around and saying Come on. It doesn't mean that the sun's poking through the rainy day. You're telling right. the rainy day to keep on. I love that, man. That's well, that. So Andrew Combs comes up with the line, shine on rainy day. Yep. And, and what's I, your reaction? I wouldn't want it to rain all the time, but I don't want it to be sunny all the time either. I like all of it, you know. So what's your reaction when he says that? Do you get? Do you grab onto it right away, or is there a little yeah, bit of a, a, a – he sends the work tape over. And I say, holy shit, how did you come up with that? And, you know, it's the same way. It's just like, that's it. we worked on that because that was the only line that we were like, man, the whole song is pretty much done. But that, that thank God for any day doesn't quite hit what we're trying to say. And we just let it alone and let it rest. And then when he got to the house, he had it. Okay, I got to ask one more question. I can't get I, I just can't get enough of this song. You, we've talked about your cousin Dave Cobb, multiple Grammy time winner for production. Stapleton, Brent Cobb, Isbell. I mean, there's a lot more. I mean, the dude is bad to the bone, right? Um, what's his reaction to that song the first time Dave Cobb hears it? Is that what sold yeah. him on making this album? Because I know you'd worked with Shooter in the past, and then Dave kind of said, you guys start making the album, the first one. We've heard that story on the podcast before, but when he hears the actual lyrics to Shine, what's Dave Cobb's reaction? I don't know. I, I know the only song that I knew that he for sure wanted to do was Digging Holes. He loved that song. And then... Uh, we both separately came up. I sent him a ton of my songs, like probably 30 songs. And then we each came up with a list of 10 from those 30s, from the from, from the 30 songs. And then when we met in the studio for the first day to make Shine On Rainy Day, um, we compared our lists and what, what which 10 did we pick together. And for the most part, we had picked the same songs. And so... Um, yeah, so it wasn't called Shine On Rainy Day until after we recorded it. And then I, after we made the whole album, and then I was like, what am I going to call this? I started to call Shine On Rainy Day because Dave loved Providence Canyon as well. And it didn't make that first album. And, uh, but he was like, man, you should, you should name this album Providence Canyon, even though there isn't, that song isn't on here. It's just such a cool title. And so, it almost shine on rainy day was almost called Providence Canyon. Really? Mm -hmm. Who told me somebody on the podcast said that their first music video was filmed in Providence Canyon. Who would that have been? I don't know. I don't know. Damn it. I'm gonna have to go back and research that. It was an intro or a, or a, uh, or a, uh, a music video. We you've you've sang little stuff on the last podcast when mm -hmm. Keep Them on Their Toes was first being released. This is now 
advanced and transgressed into your first children's book. Um, we have a mutual friend again, your way, but you know him way better than I do. Coy Bowles from the Zach Brown band. Another, he's from Georgia. He writes uh-huh. kids books. Did this have anything to do watching what he was doing with his kids book? Did it inspire you a little bit? And how does the idea, and I know that your kids are a huge part of inspiring you to do this, but tell me like the same story you just told me about writing shine. How do you say little stuff's going to be a kid's book? Well, Coy didn't have anything initially to do with the initial inspiration, but I'll get to him in just a second. Um, So, I've always wanted, even before I had kids, to incorporate some kind of sort of like what we've talked about, even like a children's program, educational type program. Because when I was growing up, I was born in 86. uh, Down here, there would be stuff on PBS or uh, GPB, Georgia Public Broadcasting, that these shows would be like a dude fishing that but it's not a competition. He's just out there and he's showing you almost like Bob Ross or something. He's like, this is how you put the lure on. And then you might want to cast it over there under that little shade tree. It might be a little bass under there. You know, like every little show that I would watch growing up was somehow it could be for kids or it could be for your grandpa, you know? And so I grew up around that first of all. And then as I became a writer more and more, you learn like Shel Silverstein, who wrote The Giving Tree. He was also this outlaw country writer, too, hanging out with Willie and Waylon. And then you also, I grew up with the Dukes of Hazard, and Waylon was, you know, the dude doing the Dukes of Hazard theme. And so it seemed like they always, those, these kind of heroes of mine always incorporated themselves into, you know, something for the kids that was entertaining, too, because it's important. And so I always knew that. Someday I wanted to do something like that. Well, my Hannah Cole Almeyer, who works for my management team, she came up with, hey, what would you think about making little stuff into a children's book like you've always kind of wanted to do? And I was like, that's a great idea. I should have thought of that. And so uh, she and I then, got, I got a hold of Coy Bowles, who, like you said, has put out like five or six children's books. And she got a hold of people that had experience with it. And uh, originally, I was going to just use the lyrics to little stuff for each page, the song. And then uh, Coy and these other people recommended us transposing those lyrics into sentences that a six-year-old may be able to read and understand. And so that's how it all came to be. And when you get that first copy in your hands... When the publishing company sends it to you, is it uh, as good a feeling as when you wrote Shine or Digging Holes and like, or when you first wrote the song Little Stuff? Did the book just like make you feel like a different person? It's a different feeling than than writing a song. There was mainly because I was learning still. I'd never done that before, so it was. uh, I didn't feel as close to the book, but I, I do. You know, it's all told from the perspective of my daughter as well. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, it felt like I, I finally, I did it, you know? That's so freaking cool. Did Coy read it since it's been published? No, I got to send him a damn copy, you know? I haven't <laughs> sent him one. Actually, I may have. I don't know. I don't remember. No, I don't know if you did because he would have, he would have called you already and told you what he thought about it. 
Yeah. Coy would have made sure that he let you know. Man, I don't I, – I'm trying to figure out – like you've sang Digging Holes on here. You've sang – I don't know if you've ever sang Shine. But anyway, like you have such an awesome library already, in my opinion. Um, the way that you told me you wrote Black Crow, uh, I heard Whiskey Myers on stage in Little Rock, Arkansas the other night singing a Brent Cobb song, right? They say it's – Cody says it's one of his favorite songs to perform – um, live to this day, the crowd goes crazy for it. They sing. It's one of the songs where he holds the mic out and lets the crowd finish a line, you know? Um, by the way, that band is freaking badass. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> they are yeah. bad son of a bitches, boy. Dude, um, did I tell you about Cody texted me and Nikki? Because, you know, me and Nikki are fixing to go on tour together. Oh, and by the way, what a genius name for the tour, dude. <laughs> Good so job. Much, <laughs> that is so uh, awesome, dude. Man. So Jinx sends me and Nikki a text, and we already have Andrew Combs coming out to open. Jinx, Jinx says, or hey, Cody? Cody or Cody Cannon Jinx. or Jinx? Oh, Cody Jinx. Oh, excuse me. I thought you were talking about Jinx. But, uh, no, no, no. I, so, I was talking about Whiskey Myers. Cody Jinx is a bad son of a bitch, too. Yeah. So Cody Jinx sends a, a text to me and Nikki and goes, uh, I may not should even say this because I don't know what's going to happen. When will this air? Uh, you tell me when it will. At least at least two weeks, but maybe three. Three weeks. I don't know if I need to say. I might have to tell you this on a personal note. I hate to do hey, that. No, it's fine. I, I mean, I can already assume that Cody Jinx is going to show up at some shows because he thinks it's genius what y'all are doing, and it's right up his alley. But I'm not going to say well, that out loud. I'll say this. No, nobody <laughs> knows what might happen, but here's what happened. He sends a text, and he says, I know y'all probably already have it figured out. And I understand if that's the case, but if not, uh, I'd love to be in the hat for an opener for this tour. And uh, and I was like, well, Jesus, Jinx, you may not feel that way if you see our budget. And uh, <laughs> he said, he, he said I'll do it for free. And uh, and so we we're like, well, we're just trying to figure out how the hell not to hurt Andrew Cone feelings if we. <laughs> so. I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but I thought it was a hilarious text. You and Jinx and... uh, Nikki Lane. I just think that that bill right there, I mean, dude, that's selling out some legitimate places if you you do this. Yeah. Well, I don't think we'd be able to announce it. It'd just have to be like one of those things that if it happened, we wouldn't tell anybody. And then by the fourth night, people would be like, I think Cody Jinx is out there on tour with him. (laughs) Uh, soapbox derby is something that is a positive word in our youth and something that's fun to participate in building the cars racing the cars with your soapbox put the wheels on them this meaning again in in true brent cobb fashion nikki lane fashion is kind of in my opinion I'm, i'm asking for you to tell me this educate us but Shut up and sing, mixed with some lines and some other songs off of Keep Them on Their Toes about, you know, I'm not going to get on a soapbox. I'm going to, you know, just, we don't need to be talking out loud. You know, your opinions are obviously louder than mine's, which is such an unbelievable way to say something. That's freaking genius just to say it that way. And that's in, on the new album. Um, but this is like a race to have the biggest mouth, a race to get on the soapbox and say the most you can. It's a race to to turn on TV and see who's saying some shit today. It's almost along yeah. the lines of like, hey, this is going to be a fun tour. But the other meaning of this is that we all just need to shut the hell up and sing. 
Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> well, yeah, and me and Nikki, she she guessed it on soapbox, and then she's also like, you know, she she's a dirt bike racer rider. She's like, she's a badass, man. I why don't I, I should do soapbox? Mm, please, is she in the is she in the house with you? I wish she was. This is a song me and my daddy wrote uh, in 2019. Everybody's been talking too much shit since the beginning of time, and we figured we'd write a song dedicated to all of those folks. It's called Soapbox. Where the crowd goes crazy when catastrophe strikes. Nobody's feeling seem to come out right. Talk is cheap and common sense ain't commonly found. I try not to pay attention, keep on having my fun. Minding my own, I be a son of a gun. It goes so and so down the road, don't like it a bit. I keep sidestepping, they keep throwing me shit. I don't preach no tricks, don't talk politics. I'm just a casual singer, holding my stones and my sticks. If I got a problem, my job is pull my heart in a song. Well, hot dog, your opinion is louder than mine. You might wear out my nerves, but you ain't changing my mind. By good God, let's hop off the soapbox and get along. Here you go. Well, there ain't no kitchen fitting all of these cooks. If you're craving bacon, you may get dirty looks. So what? Damn, suck it up and wash it down. I believe having passion is worth more than gold. But telling the truth. Don't ever get old And sometimes, Lord, all we can do is fight It might drive me crazy It won't be tonight I don't preach no tricks Don't talk politics I'm just a casual singer Holding my stones and my sticks If I got a problem My job is pull my heart in this song well, hot dog, your opinion is louder than mine. You might wear out my nerves, but you ain't changing my mind. By good God, let's hop off this soapbox and get along. And Nikki does a whistling solo right here. So, it, it, does your dad write a couple of these words? I have. I'm not going to tell you my opinion of the song yet, but I'm picturing you and your dad. Does he? Does he fill in the blanks, or are you guys? Is he coming up with as much as you are? Yeah, we're just we're woodshedding. We're just sitting out in the shop, and I, you know, I say, man, I got this idea of this song called Soapbox because everybody is on the damn soapbox all the time. Here's the structure of it, and then we just start. 
you know, throwing scatting lines and, and he'll throw a line out and I'll go, man, that's close. What if it's more like this? And then he'll, you know, like he came up with uh, uh, all the kit, the cooks in the kitchen. Great you know, line. There's, not, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And, and uh, he came up with uh, uh, folks trying to sidestep and everybody just keeps throwing you shit, you know, just when, just when, you, when you, when you say the line, the the cooks in the kitchen, if you're craving bacon, you might get dirty looks. Is that because America or the world is so judgmental on the little shit that people do? Like, Oh, you're eating McDonald's, you're chewing tobacco, you're drinking a yeah. beer and they just start judging you. Cause we're yeah, so freaking envious and jealous and judgmental. It's exactly that, but it's for both sides. It's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of times I like things to be left up to interpretation, but it's, it's, uh, yeah. So if you're eating bacon, some people might go, Oh my God, you're eating bacon. You're so unhealthy. Yeah. And then, but, and so that's all good. They should, they should go, they should suck it up and just do what they're doing. But also for the people that are eating the bacon, when someone says something to you about something they don't agree with, who gives a shit? Don't let it bother you. Like, just do your thing. Don't worry about them. You know, just like they shouldn't be worried about you. Suck it up and wash it down. You know, so freaking smart. See, it's 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 these lessons that we're missing in the world that should be on the radio. Like we, we're back to school, like man. We used to, we used to get that though when I was growing yes. up. Yes, hell just yes, like we normal did. Normal common sense. You do your thing. I'm gonna do mine. As long as it ain't hurt nobody, you know. I know. And st- I know. And sticking to the analogy that we talked about right before this with the kids' book, there's a song. There's a line in this song. And uh, it, it reminds me of a Cody Jinx merch shirt that says "Cast No Stones." Mm-hmm. Um, you have a line in here of holding on to my stones and my sticks. Well, there's a kid's fairy or whatever you call it, where sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, words will never hurt. Never hurt me. That's right. So I'm holding on to that. Like you're saying, Hey, you don't need to be on a soapbox all the time and tell everybody that it's unhealthy to eat bacon. Well, I'm not it's, throwing, I'm just not throwing any sticks and stones, you know, like, and whether that's words or whether that's actual sticks and stones, I just, it ain't my job to who and really nobody's, but I can't speak for everybody. They're going to do whatever they want to do, but I, yeah, I'm not going to throw any sticks or stones at anybody. And uh, my job is to write a song. If I got a, if I feel something about it, then I'm going to write a song about it, you know? Oh my gosh. I love the song is badass, but what's more badass about the way that you sing it and that you strum that guitar in your mom and dad's living room in the house that you grew up in. It's <clears throat> the, it's the, it's the lyrics that literally are out in front of what life is. And a guy like me and that I'm, I'm 10 years older than you. I was, I'm 12 years older than you, I think. And that song just taught me lessons of, of mm-hmm. how I, in, in areas that I want to improve my life, because I think that life is a transgression of maturity and, sure. and improvements. Like I'm not, nobody's perfect. And when you hear the lyrics of like, man, I, I'm going to bring that up with my therapist because I want to work on that part of my life because nobody gives a shit if I care that they're eating bacon. Right. right. <laughs> and I got, I have to get that through my head because that's one area where I feel I can improve in life. And now songs like that, I'm telling you, I'll go listen to top 40 radio right now on country music. And I won't be taught a lesson like that. 
Maybe one. But Maybe one way, out of the rotation. Country music used to be that. Don't you, you remember Hell what yes. was that? Uh, if the world had a front porch like we mm. did back then. Tracy you know, Lawrence. Hell yes. Come on, man. We need that shit. That's that was the 90s. Was yeah. 100%. It's a great day to be alive. Uh, what's 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 his name? Scott? Daryl? That yeah, when Darryl Travis Scott. did that, he wrote that song 100% on his own. What kind of mood did he have to be in the day he wrote that song, right? I guarantee you he was doing exactly <laughs> what he said in the song, you know? God's awesome. But that's the that's the stuff, man. I miss so much. I think it's so important. And and I, I, you know me. I don't. I try not to get down on anybody about whatever they're doing in country music. But I do believe that it's you can do all the stuff you want to do. But like, let's incorporate some of that. Not wisdom, you know. Some of that old country wisdom. That's we need that, man. You know, man. I I I think that's a great that's a great album name yeah. country wisdom country yeah. wisdom it, it's got it has to revert back to that and i think it is i truly think and it might be because of streaming that that whole story you just told that somebody like jinx can say nashville not today i'll pass but i'm still going to go over here and sell out red rocks I'm still going to have a cult following that's going to create revenue for me. He's doing as much revenue as some of the biggest acts on uh, touring totally. today. And he owns and, it all. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and he tells you that he'll freaking open for you and Nikki Lane for free. That's, that's, that sums it up right there of what those lyrics mean. Because I guarantee you, Cody, who is a huge Brent Cobb fan and a huge Chris Knight fan, mm-hmm. he said that on this podcast. That's how, why he said that to you because of the respect he has for the lyric and what you can, what you and Nikki are able to lay down. That's all it can be because the guy's not dumb. He's not well, going to go spend money and, to not and, make and any he, money. And he's not. And he's not the kind of dude that lets his like superstar ego like get in the way of him being a, just a person first. You know, which man, if there was more of that going going on, I just think it would lift everybody up. We'd all be a part of the team together. You know, which is. Again, it's so lost nowadays, not just in country music, but just all faucets of life, like everything. That's what I was talking about earlier when I was growing up. The the TV shows about fishing wasn't a competition show. It was just about fishing. It's about being in nature. And nowadays, every damn thing is a competition. Everything. Everything is a look what I got. Look what I can do. I'm better than you are. It's all these reality game competition shows and when i was like we need more of like we're just kind of all just spinning around together and like trying to accomplish life and then we're gonna die and let's just get along and try to be on the same team here you know instead of everything being a damn competition all the time you know let's talk about another friend of yours that you've introduced me to that's coming on the show in the next couple weeks you just completed a tour with kendall marvel um yeah how did it go i know that the rooms were packed i had no idea with how unassuming this man was that he's written what he's written um what kind of guy is he and why did that tour work so well i got lost in the stories because i saw some videos from the tour and it was Mm -hmm. great i didn't get to see one live which i hate but 
what were what was it like sitting there and being able to tell stories to an audience about the lyric and about what you guys were thinking when you were writing these songs? Well, it was the way that it was perfect to uh, restart my touring season that way because that's what I do the most natural, which is, you know, I'm a storyteller songwriter, and uh, obviously he is too, and so. And, and for a lot of people, it was their first experience back out in the world and seeing live entertainment again. And so people were just, man, nobody was on their phones. They just wanted to be in a moment together. I have so much respect for Kendall. When I first moved to Nashville, um, he was, he'd been already been there for eight years or so. And he was a part of that class that, you know, came before me and, we just got a lot of mutual respect and um, yeah, it was, it was all his idea. He, was, he hit me up and, and said, man, I'm trying to come up with a tour that we could go out and do acoustically that somebody that's written songs for other people, but that also puts albums out like, like I do. And, and uh, it just worked out, man. It just was perfect. I, I hope we do it again. I hope you do too. And I hope that you make a West coast swing and this that's is, this is, this I can't wait. And I got I'm letting you go because here's why. If I don't, the day's gonna be gone because uh-huh. I can't I, I love this shit, Brent Cobb. I think your career and your talents and I'm so I don't I don't know exactly why we get to meet the people that we get to meet, but I am so ecstatic about our friendship and the the lifestyle that I am so blessed to have that has allowed me to venture out into being able to talk to you from across the country, meet you in places like Nashville, watch you on stage. I do hope your thing. you know, even as hard as it is to get me to text back sometimes that the feeling is absolutely mutual. I know. I know. That's why I always got to bust your balls a couple times. And be like, I assume, <laughs> Hey, but my last text about the phone being broke, maybe I was right. Cause you got the phone. You, you got a new phone. Now you got to run down Dean Dillon's phone number. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Uh, Dean Dillon should come on this podcast. Man, he'd be a great one. Just mention it to him when you talk to him. I sure In passing. Will. Yo, yo yeah. Dean Dillon. Hey, yeah. um, I appreciate it, man. And I can't wait to hear the gospel album. If you get a wild hair up your, you know what? Maybe you send me that uh, SoundCloud and just and let me pick link, at it. A little winky poo. Yeah, All just right. a little peekaboo at it. <laughs> Please tell your wife hello, your kids. Um sure I love it, dude. I tell, love tell it. Clay, I, tell Clay. I know he's listening. I love you too, Clay. I would been would have been cool to see you, man. Uh, hold on. Let me see. He gone. No, he's here. He's coming in. He. Uh, I'll let him say bye. Hey, old buddy. Bye, old buddy. I gotta give him the headphones. Hold on a second. Okay. What's up, hey, bro? I just wanted to doing? see you too. Say hey, little love and, you. Uh, he's kind of selfish over here. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Everything good? <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've real been good. being sure to put my gun on safety the moment I pull the trigger too. <laughs> <That'll> <laughs> <work. ever> so. <laughs> Are you going to come hunt with us this year? Ah, man, if y'all have me back out, yeah, at some point. I don't oh, know yeah. about maybe. I mean, this year is crazy because we're touring again. Yeah, your schedule. Tour. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Daddy told me that if I do that again, that I better not bring anybody but him next time. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, better listen to him. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, you thank y'all stuff? for everything. 
Yeah, man, we're working on it. I told, I, I, I said I'm gonna bring, I'm, I'm gonna send you all the gospel album link. I bet Ben cool. already has, but I'm gonna send it anyway. Cool. Can't yeah. wait to hear it. Tell uh, tell the family I said hello. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. See you. All right, brother. Bye. You the man, brother. I'll be in touch. That's Brent Cobb. This life ain't for everybody. Podcast, man. I'm intrigued. I get inspired when I'm on with you, man. I'm ready to. I'm ready to go. Uh, I've been writing a lot, the cookbook, and I can't wait for you to see the cookbook. I got two yeah. of Brent Cobb's family res- uh, recipes in there. Oh man, it's just great stuff from the Cobb family. And I don't know when we're going to see each other again. It can't be soon enough. But I am going to make sure that those books get the ban. I'm going to make sure that we get together soon. I'll get you some hunt dates for this fall if we can make it to make it out. But I really want to come see a tour. So um, I'll get the new tour schedule with you and Nikki and, and make good effort to get out and see you, brother. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Love y'all. Thank you again for having me, man. Man, I love it. I can't wait to see you, my man, Brent Cobb. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast brought to you again by our friends, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking the one and only, the iconic Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. I'm going to go put on a Brent Cobb album right now and just get maybe like one finger on a little ice cube of Jack Daniels and just reminisce on my memories that I've already made with that man. Thank you, Brent Cobb. Thank you all for listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody. Tom, Jake, hit that button. We're going out with... I got to do it. I just got to do it because I've been... Last night, I was at a rodeo and I had a Deemer box in my truck on this little tailgate deal and I hit this song three times in a row because the people standing with me are like, play it again. This is Brent Cobb, Ain't a Road Too Long. Sometimes it's tough going on Takes all I got to not just give it a rest But it ain't as hard as it seems Keeping the grip on a dream I mean I know I'm overflowingly blessed With the support of a wife I thank God for my life